Merry Christmas. So great to see you guys. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services today. And we're so glad that you guys are here to celebrate Christmas with us. How many of you guys are loving the holidays already? Anybody? Come on. Yeah. I absolutely love this time of year. I have so many Christmas favorites that we decided let's do an entire message on our, our favorite parts about Christmas. Pull out your notes if you would. Would you do that? And as you pull those out, let's say our mission statement together as a church. What are we here to do? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for joining us. Maybe this is your very first time. We're so glad you guys are here as well. Hey, can we, can we give it up for our God Behind Bars guys as well? Merry Christmas. Glad you guys are part of our services as well. And so, Again, thanks so much for being with us today. So again, I have all these favorites, right, at Christmas time. And one of my favorite parts about Christmas, right, is all the food, right? How many of you guys are into the Christmas food? Okay, so here's the thing. This service is a little interactive today. So right now, take a moment and turn to the person around you, all the people around you, and let them know what your favorite Christmas food is. Go ahead, right now. Go ahead and tell them what your favorite Christmas food. All right. Whatever it is, it shouldn't have started with the word spiked, okay? None of that. All right. Do not let my white skin fool you. Mine is tamales. No doubt. No question. I had to figure to prove it. Okay. What is your favorite Christmas tradition? We all have them, right? So one of my favorite Christmas traditions in our family is my wife, ever since my kids were little, uh, our kids were little, she would always bring home a or bake a birthday cake for Jesus. And so that was a huge celebration. We still do it to this day. My kids are like old now. They're like, hey, Dad, where's the birthday cake for Jesus? Like, they still want to know where it is. It's hilarious. And so they're like fully grown. But I tell you, it's such a fun part of what we do as a family. Another one of our family traditions is when I get out the Bible and I read the, the Christmas story. And as I'm reading it, we pull out the parts of the nativity scene as they come up. So if I said an angel went to visit Joseph, they get the angel, they get Joseph, and they, they both put them in there. And so that's kind of how that works for us. I bet you have some family traditions too. So turn to the person next to you right now and let them know what is your favorite family traditions. Let them know right now. Everybody has them. So what is yours? All right. Now, how about your favorite? How about this one? Some of you are still going. Sorry. Don't interrupt your conversation. Sorry. How about your favorite Christmas moment? Maybe you've had just a moment that was really special years ago. Someone showed up you weren't expecting. You know, something happened that you didn't expect. You know, one of my favorite Christmas moments was years ago here in Corpus Christi, 2004. Who remembers that Christmas? The Christmas Eve miracle when it snowed in Corpus Christi. Remember that? Yeah, it was cool, right? And even, in fact, just a few weeks ago, remember it snowed in Corpus Christi and in San Antonio. How cool was that, right? And so we got snow around here. That was a great moment. Go ahead and tell right now your favorite Christmas moments. Go ahead, share that with your neighbor right now. What are your favorite Christmas moments? All right, now, while we're doing that, last of all, what is your favorite Christmas gift? that you received. It could have been when you were a little kid. It could have been something more recent. What is it for you that's your favorite Christmas gift? Go ahead and talk. Go ahead and talk to each other right now. What's your favorite Christmas gift? Some of you like twinkle in your eyes, say that I think it's coming, right? What's your favorite Christmas gift? Now, when I think about my favorite Christmas gift, when I think about my favorite Christmas gift, I think about toys. Because when I was a kid, I was all about the toys, right? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? 
Remember begging your mom and dad for a certain Christmas gift? Please tell Santa this is what I want, you know? And you, I mean, I know now, I, I, we used to get catalogs and circle the stuff we wanted and take it to our parents, right? That's a popular thing too, right? And so nowadays you just, you know, you just send it to your parents, right, from your phone, right? That's how that works now. But I mean, it was such a big thing and certain toys become all the rage. And we thought, let's just take you back in time for a second as some of the most popular Christmas gifts over the years here in America. So back in the 1920s, the Christmas gift to have was, of course, it was the yo-yo. This thing was all the rage. Everyone wanted to have the yo-yo, right? And so maybe you weren't little in the 1920s. I wasn't either. But I'm telling you right, this thing, in fact, it was so popular that the yo-yo company went from six employees to 600 in one year. Isn't that crazy? So the yo-yo was it, or as my mom and dad would say, it was the bee's knees. you got to look that up, the bee's knees. But that was, it was the most popular thing going, right? That's what that means. And so in the 1950s, and I'll bet all the ladies are going to know about this one, because this is still popular today, the big gift in the 1950s was the introduction of Barbie, right? Oh, yeah. Now, how many ladies remember getting a Barbie doll? Maybe it wasn't the 50s. It could have been the 70s, 60s, 80s, 90s. I don't know. These are still popular, right? There are whole aisles of Barbie dolls and all this kind of Barbie collection that comes with it now. It's crazy. Barbie dolls on Amazon. There's a whole section, right? It's a huge deal. Barbie dolls are the bomb. So maybe they were, you were really into the Barbie. I already had a little girl say, what are you going to do with that Barbie doll when you're done? I was like, why are you asking? It was hilarious. So, you know. And so Barbie dolls, all the rage. Of course, the most expensive Barbie doll is called Divorce Barbie. It comes with all Ken's stuff. Okay. <laughs> so in the 1970s, the big hot toy was the Rubik's Cube. Remember that? This thing was all the rage. This was 70s and 80s, right? These things were huge. Everyone wanted to be able to do the Rubik's Cube. I still can't do it. Who can actually solve this right now if I were to mix it up? How many could do it? Raise your hand if you can do it. Wow, thank you. Please go into engineering when you're done with school because it means you're really smart. Yeah, I could never do that, but yeah, that, that was the, all the, the rage. And in the 1980s, late 70s, early 80s, the gift to get, especially if you're a little boy, the gift, bar none, nothing close to it, the Atari 2600. Right? Remember this? Oh, yeah. This thing is original, right? I want to go plug this in right now and just have some fun. And let me tell you right now, Young people, this is very important. The reason we are so confident that we could school you is because we had one button. That's why we could do it. This whole 16-button thing, we can't do it, all right? I need a one-button joystick. I can operate this, you know, but this whole thing. My kids want me to play, like, Call of Duty. I just sit there and spin around and around. I'm like, I don't know what button does what. I don't know. I mean, it'd be easier to learn to play the drums. This is crazy, you know? But the one-button thing, Atari 2600, that was all the rage. And of course, then 1983, the introduction of the Cabbage Patch Kid, right? Oh, yeah, this was huge. Now, it's interesting, this toy, when it came out, this was the first toy, they said, in American history that adults were fighting each other to get the last one in stores. Isn't that crazy? Literally, like, fist fighting over a doll. It's crazy. So please don't fight me if you want this one later. But yeah, this was, by the way, this was a $600 million in sales in 1985. Isn't that crazy? That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And then in 1995, what swept the nation was Beanie Babies. Remember these? These are all the rage too, right? Beanie Babies were it. This is what everybody wanted. And so some of the most wanted designs went for hundreds of dollars for these little things. Isn't that crazy? And so they were real popular. And then in 1996, of course, we have Tickle Me Elmo, right? Let me see. Isn't that cool? 
See, it's really cute, but when you think back, now, in 1986, this is great, but in 2017, it seems very inappropriate to be grabbing him everywhere to get him to tickle. I don't know, I'm just saying, this is wrong, right? You're like, pretty sure someone's going to say something bad about that later. Okay, then, 1998, all the men in the room will remember this. Our lives were changed forever because of Nintendo Game Boy. And the really rich people had it in color. Remember these? These were the rage. Everyone wanted these things, right? The Nintendo Game Boy, Nintendo Game Boy Color, and of course, this is what you plugged in. Of course, everyone wanted what? Pokemon. This is the introduction of the Pokemon. Went crazy with these things. But through the years, no matter whether it was the 70s, 80s, 90s, or today, one thing has lasted all through the years when it comes to Christmas, and that is Star Wars, right? I am your father. Don't you love this? How many of you guys want to play right now? I'm telling you, man, this is just the bomb. It's so cool. I love it. But you know what? As great as all these Christmas gifts are, right? As cool as all these are, and by the way, I'm going to trade all these in later for one Bitcoin. But uh, all of these things are so popular right now. But honestly, my favorite Christmas gift. Now, now again, uh, before I bring it out, it's not going to broil your mind. I'm just going to be honest with you. You will not be impressed. But that's because you're not me. But when I was in eighth grade, the greatest gift I ever got, even, I am... I'm in my 40s, and I still will tell you, no, that's the best gift I've ever had. It's the coolest gift. I freaked out. I know where I was when I was opening it. I remember sitting there in awe, freaking out. That was the coolest gift ever. And again, you're going to laugh at me because I realize, you know, this is not much. But when you're in eighth grade and you grew up in Houston, this is a big deal. The greatest gift I ever got from my parents, my Houston Oiler bag. Now, we actually found this on eBay. I could not believe it, the original Euler bag. But here's why it was so cool. It wasn't just the Euler bag, but it was full of Euler stuff. Like there's just, I kept opening up and there's just more and more coming out of this thing. And I realized that's why it's my favorite gift is because it's a gift that just had more gifts inside the gift. You know what else is like that? Jesus. Is that when you get Jesus, you get all these gifts with him. Does that make sense? All these gifts are inside the gift. Pull out your notes if you would, because I believe my favorite gift is Jesus. He's our favorite gift. Jesus is the most expensive gift ever given at Christmas. God gave his son. John 3.16, it says that. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave what? His only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. And so the greatest gift at Christmas, ever given, was the gift of Christmas, the gift of Christ. Look at the other scripture tells us. It says in Matthew 123, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so Jesus came to this earth to be with us. Romans 8.32 says, since God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, then can we not expect that with him God will freely give us all his gifts? And so with Jesus, there are other gifts that come with him. In fact, if you do a random, if, well, if you do a detailed study, not random, if you do a detailed study of the New Testament, just, just read through it from Matthew to Revelation, there are over 50 gifts given to you through Jesus. And so there's lots of gifts we could have covered. Today, I want to cover three of them with you. Three gifts that we get when we get the gift of Jesus. So let's just unpack this gift right now. Again, I know you're not excited, but I'm so excited. This is my favorite gift ever. And so let me just show you some of these gifts. This is amazing. So here is the first part of the gift that I got back in eighth grade and the same way Jesus gives us this gift too. Check it out. I got it. Like That's like vintage Euler 
jacket right there. How cool is that, right? It's got the starter on the back. I mean, this is like the real deal. And then you might not care, but I thought that was the coolest thing ever walking around when I was in junior high with this jacket on. Because in my town, in Houston, right, Oilers were a big deal. But for some reason, there were still all my friends around me, even in Houston, were Cowboy fans. You people are everywhere. I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> so I had to wear my Oiler jacket around to let you know who's boss, all right? So I wore this around. I wore it so proudly. And you know what? When you wear a jacket like that, what you're saying is, I identify with this team. I am an oiler, right? I'm identifying. And so in the same way, would you write this down? The first thing of the three gifts that Jesus gives you inside of knowing Jesus is God wraps you in a new identity. He wraps you in a new identity. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, the old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. I've got some good news here today. Maybe you're trying to escape your past. Maybe there's some things you've done, some places you've been, some people you've been with that you, you really regret. Maybe you feel like, man, i got a reputation now and I can't, I can't shake it. That's simply not true. Because maybe God brought you here today because he wants to tell you, if you'll just begin to walk with Jesus, he says, I'll make all things new. I'll wipe away all your past. Would you let today be a fresh start for you? This could be your day to say, okay, Lord, I'm starting fresh with you. I've got great news for you. You may have come in with some guilt and some shame, but you're not leaving with it. You can leave lighter because God says in his word, I forgive you for all of that. You can be made new today in Christ. Isn't it good to know that? You can take on a new identity in Christ. It says in Romans 12 too, here's how you do that. It says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Did you know the three levels of God's will? We just found them right there. The three levels are good, pleasing, and perfect. Good means these are the general things the Bible talks about that we all know are stuff we're supposed to be doing, and the other things are things we shouldn't be doing, right? That's his general good will. We know that. So what's the pleasing will about? The pleasing will is how you get to the perfect will. Pleasing will is when, is when God speaks to you, His Holy Spirit talks to you about something, puts it on your, something on your heart, kind of pricks your mind and says, hey, I want you to go help that person. I want you to go care for that person. I want you to go pray for that person. I want you to be loving. I want you to, I want you to forgive them. I want you, when God begins to speak specific things to you and you obey Him, you're now entering into His pleasing will, which sets you up to be in His perfect will, where you meet that perfect person for you. you it lines up that perfect opportunity for you, that perfect job opportunity the perfect place for you, the perfect house you've been looking for, whatever it is you're looking for. God says, if you'll begin to follow my goodwill, these things that the Bible already talks about, that we already know we should be obeying, and then start to please me by listening to the Lord, doing what he says, then you get into his perfect will for your life. Isn't that cool? And so, but in the process of doing that, guess what's happening? Your identity is being reshaped into his. Now, let me tell you why identity is such a big deal. Identity is such a big deal. By the way, do you know the number one theft in the world is identity theft? It is. It's the number one theft in the world. And, uh, you know, the, the one who's trying to take your identity from you, by the way, is the devil. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, and I don't want to unpack too much of this now, but next month we're doing a whole series on the devil. It's called The Devil Made Me Do It. We're going to do a whole series on that, because if you ever felt like you're being attacked and you can't put your finger on it, that's probably the devil attacking you. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about things like, what do you do when you feel like there's evil in your own home? What do you do when you walk in a room and you literally can sense the presence of evil and it scares you? How do you take care of that? Does certain music and movies and other entertainment and other me media, does that draw in the devil to be a part of your life? The answer is yes, so we should be aware of what that is. So we're going to unpack some of that stuff. And so you're not going to want to miss this series. Why, why does a perfectly sane, normal person, at least appearing to be normal to us, for years and years and years seem to be just doing fine, and all of a sudden they hatch some crazy plan to go kill 50 people? You're not going to tell me the devil's not involved in that. 
We're going to talk about that. What is it that we do that we literally invite the devil into our life? You don't want to miss a series. Join us for the series in January. It's going to be powerful, I promise you. But the devil wants to steal your identity. Identity is a big deal because if you get your identity wrong, it'll really mess with you. Let me just give you a case in point. If your identity is all about what you do, here's the problem with that. What if you get laid off? If your identity is all about how you look, you know, some people right now, they're all about, some ladies are like, my identity is that I'm beautiful. Here's the problem with that. Beauty fades. It does. Can I get a witness, right? I mean, yeah, we know that. It's true, right? You may be in the perfect shape. You'd be like, man, I'm in perfect physical condition, and I'm going to keep working out my whole life, and I'll always look like that. I don't care how hard you work. You will not always look like that. It's true, right? I mean, our bodies shift as we get older. No matter how hard you try, you're fighting a battle you will lose eventually, right? So if your identity is about what you look like, or if your identity is how much money you make, what about when the markets turn? What about when you're not making that kind of money anymore? What if, what if you have an off year, right? And so your, your self-worth can't be tied to your net worth. And here's one of the biggest things that happens, by the way, and this is even predicted in, in Genesis, by the way. Adam and Eve says when they, when they fell into sin, it says in Scripture, it says that the Lord came to see him, right? He said, Why, what have you done? They said, we ate from the forbidden fruit. And he says, you know, because you did that, here's the problem with that. Now sin's entered into the world because of what you did. And because of that, Adam, the ground's going to be a lot harder for you to, to, to till, to, to, to grow fruit and produce from. It's going to be harder for you to do that. And he says, you know, by the way, Eve and the, and the husband's going to rule over you now. Those, both those things happened after sin in the world. In other words, like, it wasn't supposed to be that hard to work. Work wasn't supposed to be nearly the big deal it is. And for women, uh, the man shouldn't be ruling over her. Did you know that? That's actually after sin. Men are supposed to lead their wives. The Bible's clear on that. But it never says rule over her, ever. Nowhere in Scripture does, is, that, is that the plan. So what does this mean? It means that one of the ways we know we have an identity problem is that men typically identify too much into their work. They, in other words, they think they need a job or a career worse than they do, and women typically think they need a man more than they do. And this is why men walk around and say, what do you do? Because we identify with what we do, right? The problem with that is what if what you do changes? Well, it's not going as well. Ladies, if, if it's all about identifying with the man you're with, what about the day that man is no longer here? Do you see the problem here? So as a pastor, can I give you a little instruction here that may help you a lot? The Bible clearly teaches this. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Never, ever place your identity in something you can lose. If you place your identity in something you can lose, you are vulnerable to feeling like you've lost everything because you've lost one thing. So I want to encourage you not to do that. Number one is to, what, what, what does God do? God wraps you in a new identity, but the identity is in Christ. And you can't lose his love. You can't lose his connection. And so if you will identify as a child of the living God, you will have confidence from that no matter what situation comes your way, no matter what someone says, no matter whether who, who is in your life or no longer in your life, whether you have that position or don't have that position, I am not confident because I'm your pastor. I'm confident because I'm a child of the living God. That's where my confidence is in. Does that make sense? And so that is something you can count on. I want to encourage you, let God wrap you in his new identity. Here's another thing that came in my favorite gift of all time. Oh, this is so cool. I'm so, I'm so excited I got this even now. Here it is, man. Check that out. That's authentic right there. A Houston Oiler football. Look at that. Try to find this nowadays. This is hard to find, right? And so this thing, I'm telling you, this ball. And see, let me tell you this is a big deal when you're a kid. Because when you're a kid, I thought when I got this football, I was like, I'll be better at quarterback now because I have a nice shiny ball. Because that's how little boys think. Mom, I have to have the Jordans because then I'll be a better basketball player. I need the LeBrons because then I'll be better. 
So we literally think somehow our ability gets better because we have nice, shiny basketball shoes, right? You know, I thought, man, I'm going to be better at football because I got a nice, shiny new football. I thought this will give me the ability I've always wanted, right? And so many of us struggle because we feel like we know what we want to do. We just don't feel like we have the ability to do it. I mean, I know the right thing to do. I just don't feel like I have the strength to do it. You ever felt that way? Like, I know, the right, I know what I should be doing. Or as the Apostle Paul said, why do I not do the things I should do? Right? But then he said, but thank God for Jesus. He knew. That's the gift. That's the key to him being empowered to be able to do the things he knows he should do. Look what it says in Scripture. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit gives us on the inside is, is his love. How can you unconditionally love someone if you've never experienced unconditional love for yourself? It's hard to do that. This is why I believe Christians should date Christians. Why? Because you're asking someone to unconditionally love you who may have never experienced unconditional love. How can they give you something they don't have? So this is why it's so important that we are Christ followers united to other Christ followers because we both have experienced that unconditional love. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is producing in you that both the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. And so this is important. Number two, God empowers you with new ability. So the three gifts that Jesus gives us, right, they come in the package. One is God wraps you in new identity. Two is God empowers you with new ability. Look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self discipline. So, ah, finally I have something on the inside. See, the Holy Spirit is a performance-enhancing drug inside of us, right? Gives us the power to actually do the right thing. So it empowers you. It leaves you and I with no excuses. We have the power of God in us. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is available to you through the Holy Spirit. So whatever you're facing today, isn't it good to know that God's saying, I've already empowered you. You can overcome it. You can do it. You have everything you need already inside of you to succeed. You have the presence and the power of God inside of you once you have Christ. Isn't that good news? That's an incredible gift he gave us when he gave us Jesus. The third thing, this is one of my favorite things that I got in my original gift when I was in eighth grade, was the original Houston Oiler jersey. And if you're going to get that jersey, you might as well go straight up and get the Earl Campbell jersey, right? Tyler Rose, baby, let's do this. Okay, so this guy, do you know this guy? He, was, he just ran over people. That's what he did in the NFL. It's incredible. He ran. In fact, if you don't believe he did, so my waist is 34 inches. I'm being a little generous to myself, but my waist is 34 inches. His thighs were 34 inches. Did you know that? He literally ran over people, right? But when I wore this jersey, I was like, yeah, man, I'm on the team, right? I mean, I'm on the team. I'm on the squad. And that's why guys love to wear jerseys because they feel like I'm on the team. We want to actually identify that much with it and say, I'm in. Well, this is what God says about you and me, that when, when we become Christ followers and Christ enters our lives, we actually, number three, get a new community. God supports you in a new community. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says, His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. So it says here that he, he wants to adopt you into his family. Now, if you don't get the whole adoption thing, I understand. I really didn't quite get it until we adopted. And, and we, we actually have an adopted child. Our youngest, Sophie, is adopted. We adopted her from Russia years ago. 
And so if you don't believe she's in Russia, just play sports with her. You'll realize pretty quick, like, wow, she's a Russian. She's definitely Russian. She's tough stuff. Anyways, I always say, man, her grandfather, Vladimir Putin, must be so proud. But she's pretty strong. But here's the thing. When I was going through the adoption process, my biggest hang-up, fear, or like weirdness, awkwardness was always like, so when I get this child, am I going to feel like this child is mine? right? That's the question everyone had for me too, which made it even worse. I was like, yeah, it's going to be cool because I, I didn't know. I'd never done this before. But I knew God was leading us to adopt. My wife's filling out all the paperwork. We're getting all the details. We have someone coming to study our home. I mean, all this stuff has to happen to make sure it's right, right? And so there's all this international paperwork. It, it, it's crazy long to do all this stuff, right? So we do all this stuff. My wife was a saint. She did almost every bit of that paperwork. She did it herself. She was so excited to adopt a baby. And then we flew over to Russia to meet Sophie, our baby. And when they put Sophie in my arms, I wept. I mean, I cried. I couldn't stop. But as I held her in that moment, it was like instantaneously I knew she's mine. She's fully mine. And honestly, I will tell you, it was like this instant bond that I knew she is no different to me than our biological boys at all. Because I was like, I'm not changing someone else's kid's diaper, all that stuff. But when, when she was all of a sudden mine, I was like, no, that's my baby. There's no difference. I mean, it is as if she came out of Jessica's womb. And so as a holder, I will tell you this day, and I don't see her different. And you know, this is just a God thing. People tell me all the time, we'll be walking down the mall and go, you, your daughter looks just like you. And we just both smile at each other and say, thank you. That's just God. God just did that. Isn't that cool? But I'm telling you, she is mine and I knew it. In the same way, when God adopts you into the family, you're his. Fully. You get the full rights of the inheritance, the full rights and responsibilities and privileges of being a part of the family. You are in. That's what God says about you. Through Christ, I adopt you into our family. You're mine. That's what God says. You really become his at that moment. Now, check this out. It says, it says this, what, what family is he talking about? First Timothy 3, 5 says, that family is the church of the living God, the support and foundation of the truth. How many of you guys know the truth will set you free? The Bible says that, right? So how do we really become free in Christ to become all that God wants for us? It's through the church. It says here that the church of the living God is what? The support and foundation of truth. So here's the problem with people that feel like, I just, I'm not really that changed. I'm having a hard time really functioning like a Christian. I feel like I still keep falling back into old habits and sin patterns. And I just don't know how to be different. I don't know how to really change. That's actually evidence you're probably not coming to church much. I'm not trying to be ugly, but I got to call you out on something. Listen, you may be coming to church today. Thanks for being here. But are you a CEO? Chris is an Easter only. We're glad you're at church. And it's not, I'm not trying to guilt you, but what I'm trying to say is, is that if you're really wanting to make major changes in your life, then you got to come to the place that helps you do that. The local church. Oh, I don't feel like I can hear from God. God's like, come on by my house. I'll talk to you all the time. Stop by the house. If you'll come to God's house, he'll speak to you. He'll talk to you. In fact, if you'll just make it more consistent and just start coming on a regular basis, I want to challenge you to come six weeks in a row. It'll change your life. You do anything for six straight weeks, it'll change your life. If you exercise for six straight weeks, it'll change your life. Or if you're like me, I join a gym and I go once every six weeks. And I'm like, why am I not different? <laughs> right? It doesn't work like that. But if I go once a day, every day for six weeks straight, it'll change my life. Right? And so if you do anything for six weeks straight, if you eat salads for six weeks straight, it'll change your health. If you eat Mexican food every day for six weeks, <laughs> it'll change you. Whatever you do consistently, 
has a huge impact on your life, doesn't it? It really does. So just being a part of God's house really will change you. Look at Galatians 3, verse 28. This is such an applicable verse today, especially here in 2017. It says, in Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. You are all equal. We are all in, we are all in common relationship with Jesus Christ. We are an equal footing at the cross. Guys, I've got some great news for you about the church. In God's house, there's no male nor female. There's no divisions among us among color or race or ethnicity. There's no division among us about socioeconomic status. You just got to understand this. God loves every single one of us fully and equally. You are accepted. Isn't it good to know that? And for some of you, honestly, you have a hard time with that. I'm just being honest. Some of you are like, man, I don't like all these Hispanic people. I don't like all these black people. I don't like all these white people. You're not going to like heaven then because they're all going to be there because we're all God's children, every one of us. Isn't that good to know that? It's true. You know, I just think it's kind of funny that the very people that have been preaching about, about feminism and this and that are the worst offenders of it. Isn't that funny how we see that? That's just a reminder to me, and I don't mean this to, to cut anyone down. That's not my point. My point is, is that we need to learn, finally, that the answers are not going to come from Hollywood or the news media. The answers are going to come from God's truth. God's truth works. And we don't have to fake it. It's the real deal. It really does work. But my, my, most, my favorite part about the local church, and I'm a big fan of local churches, you can imagine, but I will tell you this. My favorite part of the local church, Jesus created it. But here's the greatest part about our church that I love. It's not the seating capacity. Yeah, it's a big church. That's fine. But it's not the seating capacity that should impress you. It's the sending capacity. It's how many people we have a chance and privilege to send into ministry, to send into mission, to send into Rockport, Texas, to help rebuild a city, to send into Port Aransas and Aransas Pass and help rebuild people's lives, to send into the west side of our city and to help the hurting and the homeless and to make a difference and to be able to tell people, Jesus loves you and we're here to help you. What can we do? You know, it's one thing to talk about loving people. It's another thing to actually be the church and function like a church that truly cares and loves people. That's the job of the church. We have the privilege to be that kind of church. Check out just a few of the things this last year that we got to do as a church. Check this out.
33,387 more people are going to be in heaven because of you. Because of you. That's the power of the church. 3,387 more people are going to be in heaven because of you. Let me ask you something. Are you one of them? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior yet? Have you received the gift with, with Christ? You get a whole package. Have you received Christ yet? Right now, you can receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. I mean, it'd be kind of a shame to celebrate Christmas without, without realizing the birthday boy is what we're here to celebrate and what he's done for you. But the greatest gift of Christmas is the gift, the greatest gift is Christmas. It's Christ. He's the reason why we're here. Have you received him? Can you remember a time when you prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? This is your moment. This can be the moment. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. This can be your moment. This can be your day. You say, okay, hold oh, oh, pastor, you can't just push that on me. I mean, I came here with family. I'm not ready to do this. I got some philosophical questions I need answers before I accept Christ. I mean, all these bad things happen in the world. How can a God of love let that happen? That's a great question. I'd love to have the answer to that too. We should ask him one day when we meet him face to face. Oh, but you haven't received him. Yeah, you won't meet him. So I'd love to ask that question. But, but I, when I ask that question, wouldn't it be cool if you were there too? We could talk about that. But you, you're going to miss being there with him because you don't have all the questions answered? Well, Pastor, I would love to receive Christ and all that, but I got some scientific conflicts because I th- see that science teaches these certain things and, and the Bible teaches these certain things, and I'm not sure if they always come together. So I need to get all my questions answered. So you need the Bible to cave to science, or maybe science is actually wrong? Could it be that, well, but I had this biology professor once, really. So he was there at the beginning of time. He could tell you how all that, break it all down for you. He was there? Oh, he wasn't there. So he's just guessing. So, well, I got, some, I got some, uh, some, some other questions about, you know, Israel, and I got some questions about, about other things that, that I need to get answered before we go any further. Some archaeological questions I want to answer, some historical questions. I got to get all those answered first. I got some questions about the universe and how it was created and this and that. So let me get this straight. You think you're even capable of getting all the universal questions of the world answered? You think your, your mind could even possibly grasp the concept of the entire universe? So you think your intellect could even handle all the answers? So you're going to miss out on heaven because you don't have all the answers to the universe? Well, I, I don't like this, this. I'm not going to receive Christ because, you know, Christians get weird. So you're going to let some weirdo that's a Christian, one of Christ's weirdest followers, keep you from becoming a follower? Wow, you gave them a lot of power. Well, I just need all my questions answered. I need to understand it all because it would be right for me to just receive Christ by faith because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Oh, you don't want to. Then why are you now? Oh, you're calling me a hypocrite. Well, it's okay. I'm too. There's room for one more. Come on in. We're all hypocrites in some area, but please understand if you say, well, I have to have all my questions answered and understand it all before I can receive Christ. Are you sure about that? Because last time I checked when you use your iPad, you didn't understand how all those ones and zeros work, but you still push power and you still use it all the time. So that's kind of hypocritical, isn't it, that you don't understand it all, but yet you use it? Isn't it kind of hypocritical that you get in the car and drive places, but you don't really understand how torque works, how that power works, how the little mini explosions in the engine actually work to actually drive someplace? You don't really understand all that, but yet you use it. I mean, let's not be a hypocrite here. You wouldn't use a car without understanding it all. You wouldn't certainly get on a plane without completely understanding how lift works, would you? Or would you dare by, take it by faith that you're going to land in your destination? You took it by faith that the car would work to get you where you need to go. You took it by faith that the iPad or MacBook would work when you pushed power. See, you live by faith all the time, guys. You don't have to have every question answered before you receive Christ. That's foolishness to think you can even comprehend all the answers, let alone all the questions. Don't miss out on Jesus just because you don't understand everything. No one 
understands everything. And then when someone tells you you have to understand it all before you receive Christ, do you know the incredible arrogance that a human being, a created being, is going to be on the same parallel level emotionally, intellectually, and mind space thought as the God who made us? Don't miss out on God just because you have questions. Receive Christ so one day you can ask him those questions. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed, we take a moment to pray. This is your moment to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. God is speaking to you. Don't check your brain at the door. We're not trying to say that. Oh, no, no. See, I've grappled with the same questions about science and biology and, and archaeology and history, and I came out with my faith being stronger after looking at those things. And I believe you will too. With your head bowed, your eyes closed. Don't wait for that. Receive Christ right now. You can pray this simple prayer. We're going to pray it out loud across all of our campuses. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.